Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Love you guys. So in, in preparation this week, and it's been kind of a short week, normally I get my sermons done like Monday or Tuesday, and if I'm being honest with you guys, this is more like a Friday, Saturday type of sermon thing, so bear with me on that one. But in preparation for that, thinking about this, this um, subject of love we've been talking about, and, and more precisely how Jesus exemplified that and showed that to others, and, and what it means for us as a, as a community of Christians to love people in the same way that Jesus did. I found an interesting story that I was researching. Um, this week I got really into like World War II history. Any World War II buffs in here? No? Uh, thank you. I, that's my man right there. I, know, I knew he skipped the Super Bowl. Um, but this week I really got into to some World War II stuff. And, and I, I love history. I love going down those rabbit holes. I'm big time into the Civil War. But while researching for this, I, I found an interesting story, and I, and I think it, it kind of exemplifies what I wanted to talk about tonight. So during World, World War II and the Holocaust, in the country of Poland, there was this Catholic priest, and he went by the name of, uh, awesome name, Maximilian Kolbe. Right? If your name is Maximilian and he was a big deal in the Catholic Church in Europe, if your name's Maximilian, you better bring it, right? You're, you, that's an awesome name. And he was this really accomplished uh, Catholic priest, had a big following of people there. Um, and what ended up happening with this guy is he got busted for um, aiding and abetting and, and, and hiding um, Jewish refugees so that they weren't taken by the Nazis and taken to concentration camps. Um, and that was kind of a big deal back then because, again, um, during that time, Hitler, Nazis, things like that, didn't have any qualms with the, with the Catholic Church. In fact, depending on what you believe, Hitler was actually professingly a Catholic, whether, whether we want to go down that rabbit hole or not. Uh, obviously, his actions showed otherwise. But it, this guy to, had every intent, every reason to stay out of it. And what happened is he actually got busted at helping and aiding and abetting um, Jews that were hiding from being, a, being taken away to the Holocaust. Um, and consequently, he ended up going to Auschwitz, so his name ended up being the high priest of Auschwitz. So he was this prisoner in Auschwitz, and, um, and uh, what ended up happening is if people ended up escaping or getting away, like they, they were very good about counting numbers, apparently, and knowing who was where and what. But every now and then, people would get away and escape. And the punishment for that was anytime somebody escaped, there would be 10 prisoners who were executed. So one of the nights there, Maximilian is there, and these, these people are, um, the night before, three Jewish prisoners got away. And um, that morning, they all up and let him know that uh, because of the escapees the night before that um, 10 people were to die that day. Um, and, and one of Maximilian's um, cellmates, somebody he bunked with there in Auschwitz, a, a Jewish man, and obviously uh, Maximilian was not Jewish, um, he knew this guy had a family and he knew um, a lot about this guy. So what ended up happening, and it, it was kind of amazing because you can see God in this, 
is his, his bunkmate was one of the guys who was chosen to be executed for, for the, other, uh, um, the other inmates escaping. And what ended up happening was Maximilian volunteered to, to uh, die for him. And it was amazing because um, even though it said Maximilian was in this camp, he kind of had the respect of the guards. Um, and they, in, in normal circumstances, would have never allowed him for that, never would have never allowed him, sorry, I'm tongue-tied tonight, to do that, to sacrifice himself for the others. It was meant to punish these, these Jewish people who were innocent by all accounts. But they allow him to do that, and, and what ends up happening is one of the punishments they had, and this is, this is incredibly brutal, was they, would, they ordered these guys to go to starvation chambers. So they would literally put them in a hole, a dark prison cell, and let them starve to death. Everybody that was sentenced to do that had died, um, except for one. When they checked Maximilian's cell, he, he actually was, was living, um, which intrigued the guards, but he had to die, right? They, they had to make a statement. So what they ended up doing is... Um, is they, they ordered him to, to be executed by lethal injection. So we have a Roman Catholic priest, a man of God, um, a guy who's incredibly innocent, influential, um, had the respect of the people, really had no qualms with the Nazis besides they were doing evil things. And this man was executed by them by, via lethal injection. Um, and he, he talked about in his last words, and. and um, he just mentioned the love of God and, and Jesus' sacrifice. And even to his last breath, um, he ended up dying for, for this other cellmate. And, and, and God allowed that to happen, right? And I find that interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, at this time in, the 1940, in, in 1945, right, we know that the basis, we've been going through the Torah in the morning, if you guys don't attend or you don't listen in the morning, it's been an awesome series. But we know that's the basis foundation of our faith, of our Christian faith, right? And then we know sometime after that, that the Jewish people actually turned away from God. They, they do not believe Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. So for Maximilian to demonstrate that, I, I just found very interesting, and, and I think it... it just goes right along with our theme of loving others, right? This man and his, his last heroic act um, laid down his life so that others, you know, other Jewish people who didn't believe essentially the same thing he did could live. And I think that story like beautifully illustrates how we should be as Christians, how we should conduct ourselves, how we are to love others. And I think it beautifully illustrates like the point of this series that we've been doing, right? Um, to love one another, to, to show new people that your belief of the Christian faith and what society tells you we are and who we are and what our theology is, is completely different from the love and the characteristics that made up Jesus Christ. Um, so in doing that, we're going to talk about an interesting story um, tonight, another one. And, and, and this, is un, this, is, this is not purpose, but purpose, this is not full of purpose. Sorry, I can't talk tonight. But most of our, I've noticed most of our stories in the series have been Jesus interacting with women. So take that what you will, but 
it just goes show, it just goes to show something that um, back in the day, women were not considered citizens. They couldn't own land. They they were considered less than men, and it's just a perfect example of how Jesus interacted with. Um, people who were maybe outcasts or people who were seen as unworthy by society, those are the kind of people that Jesus interacted with, and that is the whole point of this sermon. So um, I guess the theme that I want to talk about tonight is what it means to be bold in your love for Christ. Um, It just got significantly quieter when those heaters turned off. Um, Sorry, squirrel. But what it means to be bold, to proclaim your love and to tell others about Christ and be unashamedly happy about that. Um, One interesting thing that happened this week is um, I've been working a lot. Mitch will tell you that. So I think I have to go in and do a bunch of overtime and all these things that come along with leadership, right? Um, And I went in to proctor a test. I I can't remember. It's either Tuesday or Wednesday. And... Um, a crew that I don't work with, not a single one of them to my knowledge are Christians, um, or, or I know that for a fact. I actually walked in um, to the station and they were all upstairs. And to my amazement, they were gathered around what we call our island. It's, it's um, in the middle of the kitchen where uh, everybody has an island, I think. Um, and they were listening to my sermon. And to me, that just reinforced like, hey, something big is happening here. Um, and something wonderful, and God's promises in, in, in our prayer for this series is being answered, right? And I always want to approach that and, and to lead you guys and to pastor you guys in a bold way. And it's just amazing to see stories like that. Like these, besides me sharing a picture, because I looked really good last week, I got a lot of compliments, thank you guys, um, of me up here preaching. I don't really, for the most part, talk about it unless people ask me. You can ask Mitch. I'm not a, I'm not a big time like self-promotion guy. Um, I, I feel really weird doing it. I feel um, almost like I'm not being humble if I'm, you know, talking about myself. But to see these, these guys who otherwise I wouldn't have had an impact on them gathered around listening to what's going on and what we're doing here is just amazing. So, um, Just keep that in mind that the underlying theme tonight is how we can boldly exclaim um, our our religion and boldly exclaim what Jesus has done in our lives. We see in the Bible, um, when it comes to loving Christ, it happens in a bold way. Um, So again, last time I'll say in preparation, but in preparation for this, I was sitting around talking to one of my other friends um, who, uh, he's gone through a lot the last year, but he's a, he's a um, recovering Jehovah's Witness is what we call him. He grew up in the uh, Jehovah's Church, um, and it really turned him off to religion. So most of the time, I can't talk to him um, about religion. He's not into praying. Like, he just has a lot of church hurt, which I think is a, relatable to a lot of people. But one thing I found out in talking to him is he has a ton of biblical knowledge. So he was talking to me about my sermon another time we would have never had this conversation when I was helping him with his deck. And um, he said, you know what, this week, do do you have an idea for your sermon? And I'm like, not really, man. I mean, there's, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 examples that I can use every week of Jesus loving and helping others. 
and he said, you know what, why don't you do that one where the, the, the uh, woman who, who was suffering from hemorrhaging, um, for you guys that aren't in the medical field, that's a fancy word for bleeding, why don't you do the one where Jesus healed that, um, with that lady just by her faith in touching his robe, which we'll, we'll get into why that's a big deal. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go with that. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight is just this suffering woman who lived on the outskirts of society. I like it a little bit because we're going to talk a little bit about um, what Jewish law was back then, and it kind of ties into what we were talking about this morning in the Torah. Um, But what this woman had to go through and the courage that it took from her and the boldness it took from her to approach Jesus in the way she did, and actually the courage and boldness that it took for Christ to uh, do back to her what she did to him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. So to paint the picture of what's going on in Mark chapter 5, there's this man by the name of Jairus, and uh, for lack of making this applicable to today's society. Jairus was a religious leader. He actually ran the synagogue, um, the local synagogue there. So not only was he a religious leader, we could call him a pastor, right? He ran the church and he was in charge of a couple other um, religious leaders. But he was part of the group of people that were looking to condemn and kill Jesus, right? In the long term, they were looking for him to do something wrong. Um, And we know them as the Pharisees, right? We talked about in the first week how the the Pharisees um, with the adulterous woman and the casting stones, that that story we all love, right? Um, How they were always trying to chat Jesus because they needed him to do something uh, and violate their law so that they could get him removed, imprisoned, and or sentenced to death. So keep that in mind, right? So we have this leader named Jairus. And he has a child who's very, very sick. Doesn't know what to do. Death is imminent. So in his last attempt, like he's heard these stories and he's seen these stories and he's heard the scuttlebutt around town that Jesus is out healing people. So in a father's last ditch, a a desperate attempt, he goes to Jesus and gets Jesus to agree to heal his child that that is um, dying of an ailment. And then you'll see, you know, at this time, Jesus had such a following of people that crowds followed him everywhere, right? Which is ultimately why the Romans didn't like Jesus. Like, we know why the Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus, but um, at this time, Israel was occupied by Rome, and the Romans particularly didn't like Jesus because he caused crowds, right? Um, And if there's anybody that's been in the military or police officers or right, or anything like that, when thousands of people get together um, and they're excited and all of these things, what ends up happening, right? So there's some social dysfunction um, and some social unrest that's being caused by Jesus having these crowds. People are crowding the streets. Um, People are, are talking about Jesus being the new savior and that's bringing about rebellion. So the Romans also don't like Jesus. So understand as we go through the story, these crowds that are following him too. But we're going to pick up, right? Jairus has met with Jesus and Jesus has agreed to go and heal his child. And then we're going to see what happens after that. So uh, Mark chapter five, verse 24 says this. 
So Jesus went with him, a large crowd, right? Like we talked about, followed and passed, uh, uh, passed, pressed around him, right? So people are touching, crowding Jesus, right? It's a tense scene. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I can't imagine. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed, right? So we pause right there and we just talked about, right? Jairus just said, if I could just talk to Jesus, I've heard what this guy is doing. I've heard of his, uh, his character and his love. And I don't know if he's a magic man or what he's doing, but he's healing people. Um, and she's thinking the same thing, right? We're talking about a woman here um, who has a very like serious medical condition. And I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons. So we know like we can imagine how a woman would bleed like that. I don't think I need to go into detail, but that's incredibly painful, right? And it's, and it's incredibly unhealthy. It, it, it was back in the day where you didn't have blood transfusions. You didn't have the availability of medicines and clotting agents and everything that they could use to stop that now. So this woman has suffered, and it says here that she went um, and spent every last dime she had to try and, and cure herself of this. So we're talking about a homeless woman um, and just a sick, bleeding woman. Now, going back to the Torah, we talked about Jewish law, and it was actually mentioned today. One of the things about culture back then, about Jewish law, about what was going on, was anybody, and specifically women who bled, um, not on their menstrual cycle, but who had bleeding ailments, were alienated from the rest of culture. They were considered unclean. You couldn't be around them. So not only was she broke and homeless, but she was an outskirt. She was not allowed in the city. She was not allowed. Uh, uh, she was not allowed around people. So you have this woman who is suffering on the outskirts of town, um, just looking for healing. And it took a credi- an incredible amount of faith for her to go to Jesus, just like Jairus did, right? And it brings up something interesting that I think about when I read this story. One of the biggest mistakes I found in myself, and and I think this can ring true for everybody here, one of the biggest mistakes we make is believing that Jesus is too far from us. Can anybody relate with that? Like we, if you're anything like me, you grew up knowing Jesus, Um, you had your ups and downs with him, Um, but he, he always seemed like this God that was so far from me. He resided in heaven. He's this big, important man who did these big, important things. He wants nothing to do with me. But I think what we've seen going through, you know, the, the, old, the New Testament in general and going through this series is that that's very contrary to what Jesus says and, what Jesus, and more importantly, what Jesus does, right? Every single time somebody had needed Jesus, he was not far from them. So I think that's kind of important to note because um, I'd venture to, to agree that at some point in every one of your lives, we've all agreed, and maybe most of you, it's probably now, that Jesus can seem very far away from us and maybe that's why we don't call on him, right? I'm just an ant, he's this big important man, he doesn't have time for me. But that's not, what we see in these stories, right? That's not the character of Jesus. Um, 
It says that Jesus walks with us, right? Um, he's always there with us. He wants us to show faith and run to him. And that's what we're gonna see the benefit in this story is that although we think Jesus is far, he's very, very near and in tune with us to our suffering. Um, you know, he's the God of the mountain as, as we've said many times up here as he is of the valley. So don't make the mistake in your lives of thinking that Jesus is so far from you um, that you're unworthy or that healing is not something that can happen in your time of need. Jesus never leaves anyone. There, and that kind of brings me, I guess I'm gonna say here, point number one of this series, is there's no prerequisite for Christ's healing. Even if you are an outcast, he is with you, right? Even if the rest of society tells you that you're bloody and unclean and that you do not belong, what we see is time and time again that Jesus interacted with those people first because they were suffering and more importantly, they needed a savior. And when you need a savior, um, you kind of develop a different kind of faith, right? everybody's first in line and, and is raising their hands and wants to be a leader when things are going their way, right? But when things are not going your way and your world's falling apart and, and crumbling around you, right? That defines who you are as a person, as a leader, um, and, and your faith is just different. Can we agree with that? So Jesus, I love it, let's go. Um, Jesus had this way of of inspiring faith and suffering people, and it made sense, right? Because one of the biggest mistakes I make as a Christian is thinking I don't need Jesus as much when things are going my way as I do when things are not going my way. And I think there's some spiritual maturity to, to understanding that, right? I have to pray just as hard when I'm on the mountaintop, if not more, right? Uh, one of the things I love that... that um, you'll see about Jesus. He went to the Mount of, of Olives to pray every night. So he wasn't just praying to Jesus in the valleys, like he was at an elevated position praying to, to, praying to God every single night. Um, and it, it's just a great metaphor for us. Don't forget when things are going your way um, that, the, that there will be valleys and um, God is still the God of the valleys in your life. And don't forget when you're in the valley, that that's a temporary thing, right? And, and, and your faith will get you through that and, and just the, the power of prayer and all of those things that we see with people. Um, but it takes just an, an immense amount of boldness to bring, to come to Jesus faithfully. And that's what I love here about point number one, right? There's no uh, prerequisite to Christ's healing. You don't even have to be a Christian. Um, it doesn't, it, you are a child of God, whether you believe it or not, and you have till the end of times to figure that out, right? After that, you're on your own. But it says while you were here and while you were suffering, like Jesus is here for everybody. He loves everybody. He came to die for every single um, person. And, and that includes um, people who are not worthy, which is all of us, but, but even people that we would see as unworthy as a society. People who don't believe in him, who don't come to him. Jesus still died for them. So keep that in mind. There's no prerequisite to Christ's healing. Even if you are an outcast, he is with you. He doesn't leave you, right? 
So pick up with me. Let's look here in verse 29. It says this. So she went to him, just boldly touched his cloak, right? In this crowd of people, which I'm going to get to in a second. It says this in verse 29. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. So literally right away, just her faith to touch his cloak, something happened in her. And the more interesting part comes here. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him, right? So the, you start to see the Holy Spirit working here. It, it, it says that he, he, it even left Jesus. Um, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, right? So we said, like, there's just people, um, who are crowd people in here? Like, anybody love to be in crowds where you just can't walk and you're bumping into people? That was like the, the scene here, right? Uh, which... I'm not a people person. I think like living with Mitch and other people will tell you that, but there, there was a time where I did like to go out and do things like that. And one interesting skill I was always like applauded for by my friends was I could just bull my way through any crowd. Like if we were at a sports bar and there was an open table back there, you, you, bet, you bet yourself that I could uh, get through that crowd, bull through people. I may have to fight some people, but I was getting to that table. But the, the thing we see, right, is like these people are bumping against Jesus and, the, and he, he has the presence of mind to realize that somebody needy touched him, right? And we see, like we said, we see the Holy Spirit working and it says even for a moment that it left him. But what presence of mind in that time did Jesus have to, to, um, to, to recognize that somebody needed him in that big crowd? And I'll add to that that that's not even what he was there for, right? He was heading to, to heal Jairus' uh, child. Um, and it had me thinking of another interesting point we'll talk about, is that Jesus has the knack for suffering people. How many, right? And like, we know that, like we've, re- we've no- read and heard a lot about the character of Jesus, but think about that for a second. He, he had the presence and said, who touched me? And the, and the disciples are like, dude, what do you mean who touched you? Like there's thousands and thousands of people here and every single one of them have touched you. Um, but yet he noticed her. He realized that somebody needy had touched him and he didn't pass up that opportunity to, to help this woman, right? Jesus will meet us in our suffering to provide healing, Right? Even in a crowd full of people, when he was out on another mission, he realized um, that somebody had boldly come to him, this woman. And that's why I said at the beginning that not only was it bold of this woman to go to Jesus, but think about what we know, what we just talked about with Jewish law. It was very bold of her to, get, to even go into the city and to have the nerve to touch another man and, and more importantly, to have, a, have the nerve to touch this popular healing man. But it took a lot for Jesus too to turn around and acknowledge that. Because by acknowledging that and meeting this woman on her level and, and talking to her and, and healing her, he himself in front of the Pharisees and in front of all of these people is breaking the law, is breaking Jewish law here, right? 
But that doesn't matter because he's setting the tone here that Jesus will meet us in our suffering to provide healing. I often sometimes think like reading through these stories, Jesus was a carpenter by occupation. We know that, right? It was passed down from his father and it, it, it says explicitly in the Bible, that's what he did for a living. He worked with his hands. I love that. But by Jesus, what you see here is he made an occupation. Um, he made a living out of healing outcast. If Jesus had a business, it would be called restoring outcast. And I think that's important because raise your hand in here if you're an outcast. Raise your hand if you've ever been an outcast. Jesus made a career out of loving and being there and healing people just like you. Just like you online, just like you people in here, right? I'd venture to say that all of us are somewhat of an outcast. That's why we're here. That's why we're at Save the Cowboy. That's why we like to ride horses and we like to do work with cattle and we like to weld and do all these things where there's not people around, right? Because people suck. Uh, um, um, the guys at the firehouse complimented me too on some of my colorful language, so I apologize. Um, they didn't know you could talk about farting up on the stage. Um, but I think that's so important to know is that Jesus had an affliction for outcasts, right? He had this, this desire to reach the needy. And when we understand that, we understand the service that's available to us through Jesus. And I think there's just something powerful in that. Because I think, you know, if you're, in, again, if you're anything like me, and I'm gonna make another generalization here because I, you know, see me after or write me online if this isn't true. Sometimes I think we think Jesus came to impo impose a bunch of rules. Right, we, oftentimes society will tell us, right, Christianity is about following these rules and Jesus came um, and then after he came, there was all of these rules and all these things that we need to do to be accepted. But we see quite the opposite, right? We think he came to impose these rules, but what we see time and time again and what we see with this woman and, and what actually ended up being the, leading Jesus to his death was he actually broke the rules. Jesus you know, by nature, brought the tone to earth that the, the way we did things the old way, the Jewish law, all of these things are no longer validated for the people we are because he was our savior and he was bringing new rules. So I think that's kind of interesting to understand because we have that thought in our mind all the time that Jesus came to impose these rules on earth um, and to make our lives different. But what we see time and time again is that Jesus actually repeatedly broke the rules and ended up leading to his death, right? So let's pick up here in really the last part of, of this story. It's a short verse. And I'll just uh, point out again, point number two, Jesus will meet us in our suffering and provide healing. He won't pass us up, even if there's better things to do, even if we're in a crowd full of people. Jesus will meet us in our healing. It says this, picking up where we left off. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you, right? Her, her, her ability to be bold here has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came up from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, right? We talked about him and told him that his daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? 
So Jesus was headed, and we talked about this, but I really want you guys to understand this. Jesus was headed to heal an important man's daughter. And this woman had the boldness to stop him and ask for help. This woman believed in him so much, um, even though chances are she had never seen him before. She had never seen a miracle that he had done, right? She was on the outskirts of society. She was not, she lived under a rock. But this woman had the boldness um, in that day and age to enter that city with her condition to touch an important person in society um, when, the, when, I mean, she didn't have the right to vote or own property or do any of this, these things, right? She, what she was doing, in fact, most times was punishable by death. Like she could be stoned for going in and doing this, but she went in and did it with boldness. And what we see here is, is when that happened, Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't um, think less of her. He honored her boldness and her faith. She believed in him that much. And then it says, right, not only did she, you know, she, she was touched and healed and Jesus could have easily just kept going and, and she would have still been thankful, right? But it says that Jesus stopped and took the time to talk to her, right? He took the time to acknowledge her, and that was a big deal because by doing that, all of the lawmen and the Pharisees and all of those people watched him break religious code. But he's setting the tone, he's setting the blueprint. It wouldn't be a Sunday evening service if we didn't mention the blueprint, right? He is setting the tone that that law is broken and no law is going to stop him from healing and loving others. That's the God we serve, right? Jesus broke religious law by touching and conversing with this woman in front of everybody else. What a powerful statement. And I find it interesting, and we, we talked about it this morning, right? And this plays right off of that point. What we see time and time and time again is that when Jesus heals somebody um, or when he performs a miracle, before Jesus meets spiritual needs, right, like, right, we can all agree he's here to meet us spiritually, right? The bodies we know and we exist in and, and us in physical form will eventually die, but our spirit will not, our soul will not, right? So the ultimate um, purpose of Jesus is to meet us spiritually, but time and time again, and I know it's rang true in my life, what we see um, is that before Jesus meets our spiritual needs, he meets our needs physically, it's it, every time, think about, um, we pre, I preach a sermon up here about the, uh, the, the lame man who hadn't walked for 38 years and Jesus came and healed him, right? And he healed him first, then he gave him an action meeting at his spirit, right? You can walk, now pick up your mat. Or week one when we talked about the adulterous woman, right? He didn't just leave her there um, to suffer in society after he had convinced um, everybody not to stone her. He told her she, she's free, get up and sin no more. What we see is that time and time again, and I think it's important to understand this, that Jesus meets our physical needs way before he will meet our spiritual needs. But both of those things are necessary if he's doing them, right? She knew who Jesus was and she knew uh, who she was called to be Right, right, like she knew there was just something about this man. And, and, and for all she knew, it could have been witchcraft. Um, 
but she knew who to go to for healing and she knew ultimately who she was. And I think that's important too for us to understand that. Like we need to understand who Jesus is to understand who we are. And that's important because our, 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 the way we act is directly congruent with the way of who we believe ourselves to be. And I hope that's making sense. But you act the way that you picture yourself in your head. So what we see is that this woman didn't fall victim to her current circumstances. She believed that she was better and that she could be um, somebody worthy of touching the Savior. And consequently, she developed the faith within herself to go out and do that. She knew who she was and she knew who Jesus was. So point number three, and this is the whole point of the sermon. Bold faith is always responded to by Jesus in a bold way. If you have the, uh, the um, audacity to have big faith and dream with Jesus, it will be responded to in a bold way. And I think we see that time and time again with people who, who interact with Jesus, right? We talked about it earlier. People who come to him hurting um, and, and believe and have that faith that he can be their savior and he will heal them, he did heal them. Time and time again, in the, it says that Jesus healed people off of their faith, right? And we talked about it last week. Jesus even healed, um, healed a paralyzed man based off the faith of his friends. They, they had to cut a hole in a roof to get to him because of this, uh, this audacious crowd, right? When you come boldly with faith to Jesus, Jesus responds boldly with faith to you. Point number three. I'm reading this book, or, or I'm, I'm just about finished with it. Anybody know who Mark Batterson is? He, he's this incredible uh, pastor, um, and he, he pastors like this mega church in Washington, D.C. But he's an incredible writer. Like um, Kevin recommended one of his books to me, and it was like the best book I ever read. It's called In a, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. But I got addicted to reading this guy's book just because of the way he writes. Um, he's almost a better writer than he is a pastor. Um, <laughs> And I'm reading this book called Circle Maker. And it's, it's actually a fairly popular book for most Christians, but it, it, the, the basis of the book is this story. There's some Jewish folklore, right? That um, before the coming of Jesus, there was um, a terrible drought within the land of Israel. And there's this farmer there, and he's about to lose his livelihood. His, his livestock is dying. Um, there's, there's such a lack of moisture that he can't grow any crops and he's in this desperate situation. So what he decides to do is he says, you know what? I'm standing in this field and I'm drawing a circle around myself. Um, and I'm going to pray and pray and pray and I'm not going to stop, um, until it rains. And it says that, that, that he did that and he prayed for days and eventually the rain came, Right. And the basis of this book is, is that if you pray bold prayers and you have bold faith and you're willing to bring that to God in a bold way, that he responds boldly to those requests. And it talks about drawing a circle around your prayers. And people will tell you one thing or, or not. It gets kind of controversial from there. But the whole basis is that circle that I'm drawing around my prayers is me reminding myself to be bold 
in asking God what I want and what I need and coming to him when I need something. And I think there's power in that, my friends. Um, We see time and time and time and time again, the blueprint for this survey, the blueprint for your relationship with Christ is this, that if you come to him in need with boldness and faith, and you understand who he is and who he's made you to be, that God will respond in powerful ways. And that's the basis of this story, right? Because, you know, what, so, and that, that's the last we hear of this woman, right? Jesus heal, heals this woman, and then he goes on, and he goes and uh, goes into Jairus' house, a man who hated him, a man who was part of the, the, the group trying to, to kill him, to, to, um, to, you know, stack some charges on him, for a lack of better term. But he goes on, and that, that same day, he also heals this man's daughter, didn't matter personal feelings. It didn't matter um, who Jairus was. It mattered who Jesus was in this time. And that's the basis of this story, right? Is if, if we can boldly go to Jesus with what we need, um, and we can take that and turn it around and boldly love others and unashamedly tell people why we're so bold and why we have this love and why we look so different, that that. Jesus just responds to that in powerful ways. And what we start seeing is we start gaining that spiritual maturity. What I find interesting, I've I've said this like a hundred times, but this is such a deeply interesting story. But I want to point something out here. All the men in this story had a name, right? We have Jairus and Jesus and the 12 disciples um, and all of these people around had a name. This woman had no name, right? Because she struggled with this issue for so long that her name didn't even matter. She probably felt, you know, society felt that way about her. She was a bleeding woman, right? And um, more importantly, she probably felt that way about herself. She probably lost, you know, and I think we can relate to this, right? She was in such a bad way and suffering so much that she lost herself Um, and sense of identity and became the bleeding woman in that moment. But that's not how Jesus saw her, right? All the men had a name. She did not. She was the bleeding woman. But she had something nobody else did that day besides Jairus. Um, She had the boldness to break law, to risk being executed for this, to find healing in Jesus. And my friends, that's like all of our stories, right? That's why all of us have a testimony. That's why all of us are here. That's why we're here online watching this and not watching the Super Bowl, right? We're going to get to it later, hopefully. Uh, But that's why we're here because we have an identity that is not marked by the things of this world. Super Bowl something small, right? In the grand scheme of eternity, we're never going to remember this, but we will always carry our spiritual identity that we found. That's who we are. That's what has been given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus. So keep that in mind if you think that you're unworthy of Christianity, of all that God or Jesus has to offer. If you think you're unworthy of all the the great things that are offered by our Savior, is that that is not, what you're going through is not who you are. It's temporary. It's baggage, right? Eventually, we'll get rid of it, and we'll be in paradise, and it'll be, it'll be a non-issue. 
who you are is defined by um, um, what somebody was willing to give for you, right? Anybody in real estate here? No? Anybody buy vehicles here? Like Mitch and I have been looking at diesel trucks and like on, on Facebook marketplace and it, and I like, he can deal with it a little bit better than me, but I look at that and I almost want to puke out of the audacity that some people have to price vehicles this way. Right? Like, like we'll look and look at like a Dodge Ram 3,500, um, or, or one of these old vehicles, right? 320,000 miles on it, and what are people charging? $25,000, you know? And, and if I have the audacity to look at one under 200,000 miles, people want 40 grand for it, right? Why is that? Who, I didn't hear what you said, but who dictates the market, right? What dictates something's value? What dictates something's value is what you are willing to pay for it, right? They wouldn't charge that much if people weren't paying for it. And the same is true for us with Jesus, right? What dictates your value as a, as a child of Christ? What Jesus was willing to sacrifice and pay for you. And when we start looking at our lives and our relationship with Christ in that lens, you're probably a little bit more valuable than you think you are, right? Like you're so valuable and we've said it a hundred times and I'll say it a hundred times till I'm blue in the face. You're so valuable to the creator of the universe that he sent his son to die for you. So I want us to remember that when we feel unloved or we feel unworthy, right? Um, and, and when we feel like it's like, we're just not meeting the mark. We're unworthy of love, right? You are defined by your savior and he was willing to die for you. So you must mean an awful lot to him. Creator of the universe chose you. And I want everybody to remember that. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say enough about the wonderful people that are sitting here that, that would just come on an evening like this and, and that just find so much value and what we're doing here, and more importantly, what you are doing here, Lord. It's not Tyler or Mitch or Kevin or any of these people, Lord, but you are working through this. You are, you're bringing this love and this devotion and what we're doing to so many ears, Lord, and I pray that we just multiply that. I pray that you build um, bold people in this room that they'll go out and talk about you this week and, and not be scared or not be ashamed, right? And, and that they have this light just shining in them, Lord, because uh, we've won the ultimate prize. Like we are unworthy and yet you still love and die for us and, and you're never far away from us, Lord. And there's just something to that sacrifice that should just have us excited, Lord. So as we move through our work weeks and as we try to live our lives and do the best we can, Lord, I just pray that you give these people, and really I'll just say I thank you that you've given these people the power to proclaim your name, the power to help others, um, and the power to bring people to your feet, Lord. And I pray this week that we bring people who are going to touch your robe and find healing because that's what we're ultimately here for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.